0: I came to a point in my life I was almost bored mm-hmm. and I I have to check as you said check off that box that it's time to get married and I think where I went wrong I picked for that reason I didn't mm-hmm. pick because I was madly in love I'll tell you that much I picked because I think I wanted to be in love
1: that's Holly Brandon and this is the powerful ladies podcast I'm your host Kara Duffy, and in this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with earthquake engineer turned award-winning author Holly Brandon. After her personal life took some major pivots, she found her love for writing, and along the way, realized her own true love life adventures was in fact its own great book. We discuss how she went from engineer to author, why it's so frustrating for women that we can't just make love and relationships happen the same way we can our careers, and how our own journey is always giving us tools for our future. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to invite you to come and join my group coaching membership called Thrive. This membership is built for entrepreneurs to know that the best way to ensure you live your dream life and have your dream business is to have a community and a coach that will help you get there. If you want results like the people you meet on this podcast, join today. Go to learn.caraduffy.com and jump into our twice weekly group coaching sessions or one of our monthly workshops or access the tools and resources that are available 24 seven in the portal. Kickstart everything that matters to you and transform your year. Your business can be more simple while being more successful and, of course, be way more fun.
0: Welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Thank you for having me on, Carrie. I really appreciate it.
1: No, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Let's begin. Please tell everyone your name, um, where in the world you live, and what you're up to.
0: My name is Holly Brandon. I'm an author, a very new author. I live in California, so sunny California, and it's a new beginning for me. I never was an author before. I never imagined that this is where my life would take me.
1: What were you doing
0: before you were an author? I was a structural engineer, of all things. So my father and grandfather were structural engineers. And I wasn't very good at, in school, I was very good at math and very good at science. I was horrible at English and horrible at history, which, you know, you look and think, wait, you're a writer. How could you be horrible in English? I was horrible. Or at least that's what my teachers told me. I don't, I guess it's not true now, but um, I was terrible. And so it just, I loved math. I loved everything about math at the time. I loved that my dad was an engineer. My fourth grade project was building a shake table of all things. I mean, you have these science fairs and mine was built, you know, it was a little block of wood. It had rubber bands and it shook. And I thought, I want to study earthquakes. Like that was my whole thing from fourth grade. So I I can't imagine that now I'm not doing that and I'm doing this. So you never know. One never knows where life will take you. You really
1: don't. I I heard before when I was in school, which is like a million years ago, I was told that there was like seven career choices career paths most people had at that time. Now, especially after what's happened in the past year, I feel like we're just doubling how many career paths we are all going to have.
0: Oh, can you imagine? My little nephew said, I want to be a YouTuber. i am not a YouTuber. He said, well, look, he has a Lamborghini. Okay. We're not going to be a YouTuber, but perhaps you could develop video games. Let's think of more along that lines, but not (laughs) YouTuber. Nothing's, you know, it's not you just don't know if you're hit and miss. You'll either make it and you'll have your Lamborghini or you just don't know. So you don't a choice. Let's keep you in school.
1: <laughs> yes. And we always need options, right? So I think school is the best way to have the most options possible.
0: No, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What made you want to study earthquakes? Was it the science fair or
0: did you experience one? I experienced one. I experienced the Whittier one. So I remember as a kid running up the stairs, we have wooden wooden stairs. And it felt like they were jutting out and I couldn't run. I couldn't catch my balance to get up there. And my mom threw us in a closet, my brother and I, and put a down blanket over our heads. And I thought, Oh my God. And my dad was, I remember my dad standing in the doorway. Like it was no big deal. He didn't, he didn't react. It was like, Oh, we're having an earthquake. And he was actually watching the way that everything was moving to determine what wave it was. And I thought at the time, this is really bizarre, but this is an incredible event. Nothing happened to us, fortunately, but then, you know, we came outside and tree branches were down. I remember there was a light, a lamp that was down and I thought, this is just what I want to do. I think there's moments in life where you think this is what I want to study and mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to study. But it also is something I knew would get me into college. So my cousin, <laughs> right now your grades aren't very good. I don't know what you've been doing, but you're really good at math and science. So let's focus on that for college. So I mean that did help. I won't lie. And and how would
1: you rate your structural engineer career? Did you enjoy it and love it and think you'd be in there forever?
0: I did at the time. I did. My dad had a company, you know, which my grandfather started, and I thought that that's what I would do. And then once I got involved in school and and the different classwork, I thought, no, you know, I really want to be a professor. You know, my dad was a part-time professor. I actually had him. For a class. I remember coming in the first day and I said to him, don't talk to me. You can't talk. <laughs> so either they're going to know I'm your daughter or they're going to think something else, but either way, don't talk to me, please don't talk to me. So I come in and he says, what's mom making for dinner tonight? I thought, oh my goodness, can I just hide? Can I just crawl under the desk? And everyone turns, you could hear a pin drop. I thought, <laughs> no, please God, no. But He's a wonderful professor, and I wanted at that time. Then I thought, well, I want to be a professor, and so I continued along, and I got my PhD, and and then I taught a class, and then I had the experience of no one listening to me, standing up there thinking I'm having an anxiety attack. You know, it's a lot of pressure. I didn't realize mm-hmm. how wonderful teachers are or professors in general. You know, how much. They have to be engaging and maybe I'm just not engaging, but they sure weren't engaged to what I had to say until I told them, you know, you can do it your way or you could do it my way and you'll find out who's got the right answer on the exam. And they all kind of looked at me and then they started to listen, but basically they could care less what I had to say. And I got, and I just, I didn't have it. Mm -hmm. I I didn't have, I don't have it to be this nervous and try to be this engaging. I guess I'm, I'm shy. So You know, yeah, that went down, (laughs) definitely went down the drain quickly.
1: And how did you make the leap then into becoming an author?
0: Well, that's interesting. So during the dissertation process, I just, I struggled with the stress of it. And I struggled Mm -hmm. with, I actually developed this syndrome called levator Annie syndrome So I was in a lot of pain. And then I found that writing, like I would go on dates and I'd have these horrific dates. And when I say <laughs> horrific, I don't think anybody should experience the dates I experienced. I thought, Why are they reacting in such a weird way? And I would write them down. And I found that when I wrote, I was happy. I was very happy, but also my pain went away, subsided. So I guess I was relaxed, you know, because they had me listening to these meditation exercises and I thought, your voice sounds like a phone sex operator. So I'm not <laughs> relaxed. Like you're telling me to relax different. I, had, I don't know, like 90 tapes, and I thought for different parts, parts of your body, like from your fingernail, whatever the things was. And I thought, are you kidding me? This is not making me relax. I'm having more pain. And the writing helped me. The writing mm-hmm. actually calmed me. And all of a sudden, I found as I wrote more and more about the dates, wow, this is something that my body's telling me I should be doing. So maybe the research isn't what I should be doing because I kept on doing the research after you know, I got Mm -hmm. my, I thought, okay, I'll continue. I love researching. I'll continue researching. And it just wasn't something my body wanted me to do. I went, I mean, I even went up to the Stanford clinic and they're like, I, you're 0.5% of the population that has this. And it's it's like having, giving birth to a baby or pain so bad. I don't know what to tell you. You can't have this kind of stress. I I mean, what am I supposed to do with my life? This engineering is my life until I found writing. And my body seems to be happy. So I've always told people, like, if you're having issues and your body will tell you what's good and what's bad. Because clearly it told me, Holly, you love to write and you should be a writer. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's so
1: interesting um, neurologically, psychologically, and physically how when we aren't paying attention, the, it's almost like it just turns up the volume. Like, oh, you don't want to listen? Do you want more pain? Do you want do you want more stress? Do you want more struggle? Like, we're gonna we're trying to tell you stop, and you're not listening. Mm-hmm.
0: No, and and I think that happens a lot. And it didn't. I know when I finished my master's, well, I was halfway through my master's, my grandmother died, and I th- I got horrific pain. So that's when it started. And I thought something's wrong here. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's just losing her and just the shock of it, and because she was like a second mother, you know, very very close. Mm-hmm. To or this, but throughout my journey, I would have these episodes. So it was just, was telling me, you may be good at it just because you're good at something doesn't mean that's, sets your path. Yes. And I learned. Just because I'm good at it. And my dad keeps, he'll even say now, aren't you going to still be an engineer? Don't you want to you know, work with me at the company? I think, no, I don't. But he's very proud now. He's like, I love your book. I love, I mean, your book. And I mean, Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, let's perfect
1: segue. Perfect segue. Let's yeah. give everyone a little bit of a preview of, about your book.
0: So my first novel is called Life in the Chastity Zone, and it's about an engineer who gets dumped by, unexpectedly dumped by her fiance and goes on a path to find herself and find And as she journeys on this path of self-discovery, she, you know, overcomes a lot of her demons. I'll say that. In a very funny way, because, boy, she has a lot of crazy, wild dates that you wouldn't expect. So, and I will say that part of that, I was dumped by my fiance. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 99% of it is true. The names are changed, but it's true. I think, you know, for me as a writer, I write from personal experience, which I think gives it, a lot of truth and people mm-hmm. can really feel and relate to it. I'm not going to hold back. I mean, it happened. It was bad. I remember crying thinking, this is so awful. Like how did I get dumped? Well, for three prostitutes, I thought, wow, like how, and then, you know, good comes to bad. That's all I have to say. Mm-hmm. Cause if I didn't have all that bad, I wouldn't have nothing to write about. Yeah. So, you know, I hope people enjoy it. I hope the word chastity doesn't deter people. I heard a lot that the word chastity deters, and I'm in no way preaching religion or anything of that sort. It's more of a play on words because her name is chastity and she goes by Chase. And um, yeah, it's a little journey. Well, there's
1: so much in that backstory that I want to dig into a little bit because there are plenty of powerful women who are either currently going through a breakup process or they're having that life shift, right? Because when you're engaged to someone, you've been forecasting, like this is what my life is going to look like. You're planning for it. You're like, oh, I've checked that box. I can worry about other things. And then life throws me at you where it's like, nope, just kidding. How, How did you get through that yourself? And how did you handle it, deal with it, and then pivot back to like, okay, there's another life waiting for me. Let's go.
0: Well, I think the problem is I came to a point in my life, I was almost 40. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to check, as you said, check off that box that it's time to get married. I had a lot of family pressure, mm-hmm. you know, I had a lot of pressure within myself, like what's going on that I haven't gotten married. And Everybody around me is married with kids and I haven't. And I think where I went wrong, and I don't know if a lot of other women have gone wrong when they're going through the same thing, I picked for that reason. I didn't mm-hmm. pick because I was madly in love. I'll tell you that much. I picked because I think I wanted to be in love. I had, I mm-hmm. was in I was in love with the idea of love and was in love with the idea of marriage. And I picked him because, you know, he came around at the right time and I thought I need to get married and, you know, this is what I want to do. So I mean, wrong, wrong, wrong. Like I don't care <laughs> how long you wait, my advice to anyone is wait your whole life to feel that love and chemistry because, you know, after that, I found, fa- you know, I found that with somebody so I was able to experience it, but that was not it. So how did I get through it? Well, he, that was, so he proposed and he gave me two things. He gave me a beautiful ring in one box. And the other box was this cute little alligator suitcase. And I thought, oh, this is very cute. Is it have something that's matching? You know, a girl always thinks, twelve more jewelry. Wow. That's, that's very sweet and thoughtful of you. No, I was wrong. It was a note. And it had the four F's listed. Freedom, football, finance, family. And I thought, what does this mean? That, you know, thank you for the ring. I just accepted. What's this mean? Like, I'm very naive. I will say that. I look at the cup half full Mm -hmm. and will explain to me what each thing meant. (laughs) I don't even know how to process this. Like, I just sat there thinking, I just got engaged. I have this list that I'm not gonna abide by. There's no way. Freedom, like you go on boys trips. I don't mind if you want to go on a boys trip. But what he meant by that it didn't mean just the boys trip. It was more like, I can do what I want. And I come home and you can't say, anything. Woo, okay. You know, I have never been one to be quiet. You know, I've had mm-hmm. a lot of problems at school and I've spoken up for myself. You have to stand up for yourself as a woman. So I, but at the time I did just sit there, what am I supposed to do with this? So I processed. And after that, I said, this, I don't think this is going to work. Like, I don't know how. And then he dumped me for you know three months. So how did I get over it? I, I didn't for a while. I will say that I was a wreck. I was a wreck. And it wasn't that I, I, it wasn't that I lost him. It was the idea I lost the marriage. I lost, yeah. there, I had my wedding dress already. I mean, I quickly yeah. went out, you know, the next day and got my wedding dress. It was the processing, that whole thing. Not him. I'm losing the wedding. I'm losing the mm-hmm. box being checked off. How am I going to find someone else? Like, yeah. I'm a failure at that. And, but I wasn't a failure. I was just, that was not the right person for me but it took me time. And honestly, took time. If anyone thinks it doesn't take time, it takes time. And then when you, one day, you know, you least expect it, you meet someone new and you have that spark and you have that chemistry and then you have that love, you realize, wow, okay, this is what it's all meant for. This Mm -hmm. is, you know, even if it doesn't last, this moment showed me, because it didn't last without him either. It showed me, this is what love is supposed to feel like. Not that. So I can look back now and laugh. But at the time, I wasn't laughing at all. Yeah, yeah. And you have a strong support system around you. My parents are very supportive. My friends, My friends are very supportive. And they were all saying, well, we kind of told you in the beginning, we didn't like him. So this is not an unexpected. And you knew it too. And I thought, you're right. But I okay. guess experiences are supposed to you're supposed to have them, good or bad.
1: Mm-hmm. That one, I think for, for so many women as well, especially people who are out there creating the life they want, right? Going after their careers, you know, buying homes or whatever it is that's on your to-do list, traveling the world. When we can't check a box by ourselves, it is so frustrating. Like we can't get married by ourselves. We can't just make it happen. Um, You can today have kids by yourself, but it's also a whole other layer of challenges if you choose to go that path. And I know for myself that it's like, oh, like sometimes these things you want, you're like everything else I can make happen. And it's so irritating that I can't check those boxes. and I have to be patient and wait and like collaborate (laughs) with people. And I I think it's, and it's not talked about a lot in the sense of there are so many women I know who thought they would be married early uh, in earlier in life than where they're at, or thought they'd have kids younger, or just thought they had kids in general, and, you know, the frustration of, of having to not get what you want as fast as you want when you're like, I'm ready, let's go. Let's just check these boxes.
0: It's true because as a powerful woman, you can do it. You choose to make your career. You choose to make it all happen, but you can't choose to make a man propose. Like I learned that the hard way. I'm like, why not? Well, I, can, I can do <laughs> everything else. Like I push through every boundary that I've wanted for myself. Why Mm -hmm. can't I push through this one? And I can't because it takes them proposing. It takes my falling in love and they have to fall in love too. It's their choice too. But in my mind, I still think, why not? Why can't I? (laughs) And And it's a very hard thing, I would think, for any woman to be able that's Mm -hmm. pushing through the boundaries to sit there and say, wait, I have to let them come to me. I have to let them pursue. I have to let them ask me. But it's very frustrating, I will say that.
1: Yes. How, was it therapeutic for you to write the book because it was based on real life? Very, very. Mm-hmm. I'd
0: say that. I think a lot of it was just, it was so traumatic for me. And I was so naive about things. You know, I met, I'll give you an example. I'm went to, I, I don't like to fly. I will admit I've had some bad experiences, but granted they're very warranted. You know, I was flying up to Idaho and the girl didn't close the door. Tight enough. The stewardess and the alarm went off the whole time, and then another time because he had these little teeny propellers. And another time we hit a goose or some kind yeah. of big bird, and I thought, oh my god! Like we had the emergency equipment in Salt Lake City ready for us. I thought, I'm gonna die. And then I had a crazy on a flight to New York that had to be locked down because he was drugged, thinking he killed everybody. You know, and I have that in the book, but I don't like to fly. Okay, so yeah. for my 35th birthday, my mom took me to Paris, and I thought, oh. It's a long way. <laughs> <laughs> like, how am I going to get over there? We're going to my doctor soon. I'm having, like, how am I going to do it? Just take a pill you'll be fine. Okay. Since I don't drink. So I'm like, okay, I'll take a pill. I had the most gorgeous, I got the seating assignment wrong, gorgeous Frenchman. Well, it turned out to be Swissman on the flight next to me. He was stunning. He And he pursued. So here I am thinking, and here's a gorgeous guy, very, you know, successful, very charming, wonderful, what dreams are made of, especially when you're going to Paris, the city of love, you think, oh my goodness, my mom's thinking, wow, you're lucky. Thinking, i hope I don't gas him to death because I have gas attacks and I get nervous. So, um, I really hope I don't gas you to death. Um, and he didn't even notice. I mean, he somehow, he said, I was just charmed by you. And he's pursuing like crazy. And I didn't happen to see him in Paris because he was dropped, he was going and I didn't want to go to the hotel cost for, I thought, Ooh, that looks, the guy told me that's a little And I thought, okay, you know, I'm not sure I want to go. This is out of my comfort zone. And so he flew to LA. He flew to that's have dinner with in LA. And in my mind, I'm thinking, very romantic. Oh, like this is very, he's making the grand gesture. No, he turned out to be married and just wanted sex. And I was like, hmm, those are, I'm still a virgin. <laughs> like at the time. I'm still a virgin and yeah, I, my mind is not going there. My mind's going wedding bells and this and that, even though I don't know him, I'm not Mm -hmm. in love with him, but I love the idea of love. Yeah. I learned along the way. Like I need to have a, I, well, actually my cousin turned me on to Matthew Hesse's podcast and his, you know, advice for women. And I thought, you know, it's very true. You need them to show you they love you and Mm -hmm. you need to fall in love with them you can't, you can't love the idea of them. You can't love the idea of marriage and whatnot. And that helped me a lot. It's very true. Well, I think there's
1: oftentimes that we also fall in love with the possibility of someone, right? Like we can see greatness in people and we fall in love with their greatness. Doesn't always mean that we're in love with who they are in reality today.
0: No. And I think, so writing all this, it did help me. It helped me overcome a lot of the you know, a lot of times people say when you get married, well, men, Well, I actually had one say, "Well, you can't have kids." Like I can't have kids, so I had one say, "You can't have kids." Oh, well, is that a for sure thing? Do we need to go to the doctor and you have that checked out? I said, "I think I would know if it's a for sure thing or not." I can't have kids. Oh, well, I don't know if I want you then. And I thought, okay, but that wasn't an abnormal comment. When men right. get, married, they expect kids that so you're going to be able. So part of in the book, she has to come to terms with the fact that she can't have kids. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And that doesn't make her less. And still a comedy way. Because it is, you know, funny and a comedy. I don't want to say that it's anything that's not dark, but just where it drags on you. She laughs the whole way through it. But, yeah. you, ha- you know, I keep in mind, yes, I can't have kids. And now I raise my nephew. So life presents you with things you can't even imagine. Like, mm-hmm. I never thought I'd be raising a child. I yeah. never... I mean, especially when you're told, when I was told I can't have kids, I never thought I'd be raising a little one that looks like me and acts like me. So I'm admitting me. Yeah. You just don't know.
1: Well, um, would you mind sharing why you're unable to have kids?
0: Part of the levator of me. So I yeah. have that. And then I have, there's a lot of different complications and I just yeah. have children. And at the time I thought, you know, I, my whole thing was I'm going to have twins. I'm going to have a yeah. boy and a girl, and then I'll never have to do it again. Not really thinking about the reality when you're, you know, in your teens or 20s, what that means. I look now and think, wow, that would have been a lot of work. But <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine what I was thinking, but I was thinking in a logical engineering way, two kids, one yes. time giving birth, it's going to be done. And I didn't think about it. I didn't think it through. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you can have kids through surrogacy, adopting, you know, my Godfather had a surrogate and because you know, he never found the right woman, but he wanted a child. So yeah. I think love comes in different ways. I love my little nephew like you were my own. I think so. Mm-hmm. Love comes in many different ways. I think you just have to realize that being told that, being told anything like that, it's not the end of the world. And any man that thinks it is, well then, you know, bye-bye him.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And how did you end up raising your nephew? He came to us when he was two months old. So my brother brought him home and, you know, he said to my dad, you know, I've moved back home to help. He said, can you guys, can you move home to help? And, you know, I was living in Idaho at the time and I said, help with what? He said, want bring me home a baby. Oh boy. Like I'm really having anxiety now, (laughs) especially when I went to the baby shop and saw all the things that we had to get from heated baby wipes to all these things what? This is a lot, <laughs> and we only had a week to prepare. People have nine months to prepare. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you just don't. None of us expected that. So, yeah, out of tragedy comes good,
1: good things. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and how old's your nephew now?
0: He's eight and a half. He's oh my five. goodness! And I'm teaching third grade. Like he is homeschooled right now. He still goes to his private school. But because of the COVID and because of my parents being older, we just decided that, you know, it was best we do it at home. And I ended up having, I have a Zoom class now because some of his friends don't want to wear masks all day long. So they all go to the same private school and they'll stay home a couple of days. And I have a Zoom class and teach them all. So all of a sudden I've become a third grade teacher. I didn't realize I would be a third grade teacher, but I, you know, adapted and I'm using my degree for something. You know, as yeah. far as teaching, which is amazing to me, and I didn't think it would be this hard to teach third grade, and it is. I mm-hmm. thought, oh, wow, I don't remember any of this stuff. But yeah, <laughs> I learned. I have twelve books, and I go through methodically. And man, he seems he loves it. He said, "You know, I don't like school," and I thought, "You know, I didn't like school either, So how can I tell you to go when I never went? I mean, I, I I mean that. I mean, I'm telling the truth. I never went to school. I probably went two or three days a week to school. And school was right behind our house. So, you know, I'd walk around the block to school. I had a teacher and it's funny because I think I'm teaching third grade. How ironic is that? In third grade, my teacher said to me, because I guess after the first two months of me not going really, she Mm had to be a bribe. And her bribe was, if you make it a full week, I will take you out to lunch. And I thought, really? Okay, that'll be easy. It wasn't easy. It didn't happen, I think, until a month before school let out that I actually made it the full week. And she took me to lunch. It was very sweet. Mrs. Glover, I'll always remember her for that. that you know, she said, you've got to go a full week. And I thought, but I don't want to go a full week. I don't like school. So I thought, how can I preach to him to go to school and wear a mask when I didn't go to school when there were no masks? So he's loving it. He's flourishing, which is great mm-hmm. to see the transition of him not liking school because he hated Zoom last year. yeah, you actually loving it and flourishing and, and just learning a lot more and actually wanting willing to learn instead of hiding under his desk when Zoom came like hiding yeah. under his desk. So I just think, oh boy, my dad said, you know how they, or you know Holly, that you have a choice in life and here you go, you get to teach and you get to make up mm-hmm. for you know your past.
1: Well, yeah. And and there's such a difference between school and learning. Most people I know love to learn, but not everybody loves school.
0: No, that is, that's true. And I think that's what it's about. There's a way to be taught and a way to be taught. And he asked one of the little kids on Zoom, I said, so how are you doing? How are you liking school? Oh boy, our teacher's nothing like last year. She yells a lot. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, what do I have to yell about? I don't have anything to yell about, but okay. Like I don't yell anyway, <laughs> but I thought, oh boy. So thank God, because his, his disposition couldn't handle somebody screaming at him. So maybe that's what it is. The t- You know, you wish for kids and for everybody's kids to have teachers that really want to teach. Unfortunately, there's a lot of teachers that don't, that mm-hmm. are there because this is their job. But, you know, when you're lucky in life, you get a teacher that loves to teach. I had a ninth grade science teacher. I'll never forget him, Mr. Cooperman. He loved to teach, loved to teach. And he made it fun and exciting. And he had these crazy experiments. And I remember at Halloween, he had this dog with an invisible leash. And we all thought, what are you doing? You're kind of kooky. But he wasn't kooky. He was just trying to get the students to engage, trying Mm -hmm. to make them smile. And I think when you have a teacher that believes in you and believes in their students and loves to teach, that's what makes the difference. Mm-hmm. But those are few and far between, you know, having that kind of passion and love for it. So mm-hmm.
1: so when you decided to write your book and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not just going to write it. I'm actually going to publish it. Like, how did you find everything you needed to make that happen? Because there's some people who want to write and it seems so daunting to be like, okay, let's go figure this out now.
0: That's funny. You should say that because I had a friend ask me last night, she said, I want to write a book. How do I go about doing this? I said, wow. Well, I'll tell you from my side, I'm about to publish my second book. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the first one was a nightmare. So I started by asking friends, like, do you know mm-hmm. of an editor? I know I need an editor. I mean, I'm I, English, that wasn't my forte. I've fixed it and I've worked very hard on it, but I know I need an editor. So a friend that was an author gave me the name of an incredible woman. And I love her. She's great. And she helped with that process. From there, I looked on the internet and I found some ladies that did interior designing, formatting, the cover Mm -hmm. design, all that. They were a nightmare to work with. It was, I just, oh my God, what am I going down the rabbit hole? You know, Can you not get this right? And I kept paying more and more and more. And if you don't have the funds like that to pay, you're in trouble because- you have to find what I learned from my second book. I didn't know this from my first. I thought I'm going to self-publish. I'm going to do this. I've loaded on Amazon. I can do this. I don't need to go about trying to. Everyone says, no, don't go find me a publisher. Don't go find me. This. It's going to be a nightmare. They'll change things. So I didn't even consider that option from all the nightmare stories I heard. So I did it this way. I spent a lot of money because of all the mistakes. And then... I liked. I love my finished product. I will say that. But the second experience has been much better. Mm -hmm. You know, I love my editor. I have an incredible interior designer and they are a book publishing house and distribution, Tetra House. And Daniel and Matt, two guys I work with, they have been tremendous. And they have, you know, opened up that opportunity for self-published authors. They just started this Tetra House, which is a combination of Black Ocean and not a cult. And they said, listen, you, we want to bring in new authors that don't know what to do. And I said, well, I have one for you, you know, <laughs> you do this, and they do everything from start to finish and then mm-hmm. get a worldwide distribution. So that was my problem with the first book. How do I get a worldwide distribution? I can't mm-hmm. get a literary agent. You mean, you know, you read these things. Yeah, I read a lot. So you need a literary agent to get to this publication. Like Everything is a, an obstacle. And mm-hmm. I'm, okay, well, I can win awards. I can't get a literary agent. That's not going to stop me. Like, I'm going to keep on going because something's not adding up here. Like if my book was, you know, I don't want to say the word, but how would I win awards? Like, this yeah. isn't any sense to me. I, I can't fit the pieces. Well, I think it was the name. Oops, like big oops on my, everybody makes mistakes. I don't have that part of the name in the second book, a little bit, but it has helped to have these guys. So, you know, when you're mm-hmm. lucky enough to find people that you can trust and rely on, that's what makes a difference. And that's what I would tell someone. I would say, if you want to write a book, go with Tetra House. They will take care of you from the beginning to the end, and it won't be, they're not at a high price. They're not at a low mm-hmm. price. They're at the middle range, but you're going to get what you paid for. They're going mm-hmm. to do something beautiful instead of, you know, oh boy, I'm telling you, you just don't want to try anyone because these first ones, I thought, wait, okay. I'm an engineer, I'm not a writer, but this formatting looks really wrong to have this much space between. And then it starts on another page. Like, something's wrong here. But you don't know. You, you think that when you put your trust in someone, they know they're not mm-hmm. you know, screwing you over. I and mean, some people do take advantage of you. And when you don't know stuff, I don't ever want to be taken advantage of in the book world. And I hope that my advice to people, you know, they'll listen because, boy... I wouldn't want them to go through what I went
1: through. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and let's talk about the success your first book had. What success have you had and what surprised you about it?
0: Well, the success is, well, the awards, definitely the awards. I thought, wow, really? I, I have to show, I, I need to go back to high school and show my high school teacher what I, I like. <laughs> You told me I didn't even know. Well, actually, it was my college professor one of them, that said I didn't know what a topic sentence meant. I thought, really? I know what a topic sentence means. You're telling me that. So that was the biggest surprise. That was the biggest when I still get the awards. I think, wow, I mean, it, it feels so good. So that was my biggest accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awards by far. And just having a finished product. I look at yeah. my book every day and I think, it's finished. My characters came to life. And that's what means the world to me. I think if I don't sell mm-hmm. a book, you know, oh, well, I, I have people saying they love it. I have some validation, which makes me feel good. But in the end, I have a finished product. So it's amazing to me in this day and age. No, I didn't need a publishing house to give me a finished product. I didn't need them to have to sign me on. I didn't need to go through all that rejection. I mm-hmm. could still produce something myself. Yeah. And I, that's the part I love the most, like actually seeing it. You're like, wow. Feels good. It's like remodeling a house where all of a sudden you're down to the studs. You're like, oh boy, this isn't looking too good. And at the end, you think, wow, this is like better than my what I envisioned.
1: And what are some of those awards for everyone listening?
0: Feathered Quill, um, Dragonfly, the Global Ebook Awards. Um, I don't know. I'd have to look at all of them. <laughs> I know there's a whole American Book Fest. There's a whole bunch. <laughs> I wish I knew off the back of my head. I don't, um, but it helps authors. It helps promote your book. I would say definitely get your book in the book awards. Mm-hmm. Antelaine, that was one I never expected because my editor said to me, listen, they have a long list. They have the, sl- I think she calls it the slosh pile. You won't get through, you know, rarely do people get through that slosh pile. Then they go the long list. She goes, oh my God, you're on the long list. Then they go to the short list. She goes, you made it to the short list. <laughs> She said, you're on the semifinals. I thought, okay, I'm happy I'm at the semifinals. And she said, you're a finalist. And I thought, I'm down to 10. I didn't win, but I got to the finals and I thought, I'm good with being in the finals. I don't need to win. I'm just happy I made it into that group. So different things like that, I'd say I'm most proud of that Mm -hmm. that I accomplished that. And I think I learned from the first book and what I needed to fix for the second book. Mm -hmm. And I think that helped me a lot, you know. Because as a writer, when you're not taught, you're, you know, and I'm, I would say I'm more self-taught. You know, I got a lot of self-teach myself about what I wanted to do. When I realized I wanted to write, I didn't know what I was missing. Even my editor didn't know. She loved my first book. What I was missing. But then when I saw my second one, I saw okay, I need to catch them from the beginning, the first couple pages, because clearly that's what I'm doing wrong with finding a literary agent. It's not catching. It has to catch him within five pages, and I. Wow, I didn't write. I've never read a book where it's caught me right away. Well, there's a couple, mm-hmm. I will say that. There are a couple where, wow, okay, oh my goodness. But very few, it's more you get in 50 pages and you really love the story, but they want it to catch you right away. So mm-hmm. I, I, I hooked in my hope with my second book. I got my first review, you know, the pre-review and it hooked her from the first page. And I thought, thank you, I accomplished it. And I accomplished mm-hmm. it being a standalone novel. So I thought, I don't want people to be forced to read the first one because it is a sequel. I want them to be able to read this and say, oh, I love it. I want to go back and read the first one. Or I'm just really happy reading this one. Mm -hmm. I don't want to force people to have to buy the other (laughs) (laughs) one. Well, of
1: course, this is the Powerful Ladies podcast. So I'd love to know when you hear the words powerful and ladies separately, what do those words mean to you? And does their definition change when they're combined?
0: Hmm. I think stand up for yourself, like do what you want. Don't be told you can't do. Because I think for women in general, we're told we can't do. So yeah, when I hear powerful, I think, oh, and what's a powerful lady? That's somebody that is running something or has accomplished something. And especially powerful lady, it's just somebody that's taken no BS that says i'm going to do you're not going to tell me what i can't do this is what i want to do and i'll mm. prove you wrong <laughs> i mean i loved it. when i heard your name i thought oh this is incredible i feel so honored to be on your show <laughs> and this is great i mean you are a powerful woman and that's what's so amazing about you and your success and i think that's what any woman would want to be they'd want to be you they want to have that power and that success and just that you did what you wanted in life. Yeah. And, and who are the women in
1: your life that have been powerful ladies that have inspired and guided you along the way?
0: Definitely my grandmother and my mother, my grandmother, she was, well, she's a funny character. She comes in, she's in all my books, but she definitely comes in more in my third book and just in what she accomplished. She was a model. And, but then when it came to world war II, she became a ferry command pilot. So I thought, you know, wow. And she was an inventor and she had to raise kids herself, you know, when she divorced her husband. And in those days that was unheard of. And she all of a sudden was raising three kids or four kids. And, you know, it's that woman that can actually go into the working world do. And she said to me, never, never think you need a man. You know, I didn't, then I found love again. Cause you know, she love this man when she was 18. And then it didn't work out because, you know, family said, oh, your family's not right. You know, he came from a very wealthy family and said, well, you know, you're, we're not, you're not going to be part of it. It was just, you know, mean stuff mm-hmm. like that. And she said, I'm a powerful woman. I don't need you. And then one day years, when she was almost 50, she was walking down the street and came in contact with him again. And it was still love at first sight. And things had changed then. he said, yeah, my, I was wrong, but that and my mother too. My mom's always been just do what you want, push for what you want. And I think having that kind of support system of a mom mm-hmm. that believes in you and then believes in herself is the key.
1: Well, and there's I can't imagine going through life without the powerful ladies that I have on my squad.
0: <laughs> See, because they help you. It's that it's mm-hmm. a little circle of trust. Is what is that movie? The walkers, or whichever the circle of trust you got to be in, the, so you have to have a support system behind you mm-hmm. and really succeed in life. I mean, fine, Sometimes people don't have it, and you don't need it, and your support system within yourself. But it really does help to have that support system. Mm-hmm. And and so after
1: this, you know, journey that you've had, that the arc that your books are kind of following, you're raising your nephew, you're writing your third book, about to publish your second. Um, where's your life today versus when this journey started for you? And, and what are you most proud of achieving in that time?
0: My life's stable. I feel very happy and at peace. You know, I don't have anyone in my life. Like I'm not married. I don't have a boyfriend, but I feel just at peace. And yeah. I feel just secure and happy and Fulfilled, like I feel fulfilled being a mother. I never thought I would be a mother. I feel fulfilled with my writing. I know that this is what this is a journey I'm supposed to be on. This mm-hmm. is what my life was meant to be. And then weirdly enough, which people don't believe in psychics, I really believe in psychics. Um, we we had a friend that was a healer and a psychic, and the heat would come out of his hands, and he would heal cancer and different things, and he predicted things happening. And he said, long time ago, I gosh, I was a teenager. You're going to write books. And I thought, no, I'm not. Like, uh-huh. I'm going to be an engineer. Like, I didn't even think about it. But when I think about it now, I'm like, I, how'd you know that? Like, it never crossed my mind. But that's, I think, part, I just, I don't need a man. I thought, mm-hmm. I would love a husband. I would love a partner to share my yeah. life with and grow old with and create the memories that my parents have. I'd love that. But I don't need it anymore. And I'm not looking for it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, I have kind of a piece at that Yeah. since I had it, I did that. It's like been there, done that with the engagement and everything. So now I'm like, okay, I don't have that box to tick. I did it. Now I want love. I want somebody that truly loves me. And I have a little guy that truly loves me. So I think I have this little kid that just, he's wonderful because I love Mm -hmm. auntie and parents. And I just, I feel set. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for everyone who's
1: listening and not watching, like you're beautiful, right? And the fact that someone flew to Paris just to have an, flew from Paris just to have an affair with you. I'm like, of course, like, why? Of course, that's what someone like you has causes to happen. (laughs) Um, So you must feel a little good that you're like, well, he flew all this way just for me. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm honored and disappointed at the same time. Thank you. <laughs> so, we ask everybody on the show where you put yourself on the powerful lady scale. If, you know, zero is the average everyday human and 10 is the most powerful lady possible, where would you put yourself today? And where do you think you put yourself on average?
0: Wow, that's a good question. I don't look at myself, I mean, I look at myself as breaking the boundaries of what I wanted to achieve. I don't know if I look at myself as a powerful, powerful lady. So I'd say like a three, (laughs) 10, because, you know, there's rock stars like you that have done so much. So yeah, like a three, four, I think, okay, I did it. I don't think I'm at the 10 level, but I did it. And then maybe one day I'll be at the 10 level as I keep achieving. So I don't Mm want to, I don't want to limit myself. I want to think I can be more powerful. I can keep yeah. on going up that scale, and every we'll get better as I create. That's what I hope.
1: And when you're not writing, what are you doing? What is? What are your days and weeks? So when you're not writing and when you're not teaching third grade and you're not being a mom to your nephew, what does the rest of your life look like?
0: I play a lot of tennis and golf. Yeah, I play a lot of tennis and golf. I love golf. I'm not good at golf at all. I look at it as a social thing where we drive around in the carts and eat lunch and have fun and. Tennis just kind of gets out the stress because you can whack that ball and it doesn't matter because, boy, if you try to get out the stress in golf, it's like, wow, I can't hit a ball. (laughs) I I like to build things. Like, I built a chicken coop, which, wow, this is pretty cool. So I like to build things in garden and I just, I like to read. I read Mm -hmm. a lot. I love the just read. You get lost in a story and all of a sudden, whatever you're, I don't like to watch the news because it's just too depressing. But all And I do watch it and then I think, oh boy, I don't feel so good right now. And then when you read a book, you just, you're trapped in this incredible story of what's going to happen next. And I yes. love, but mostly I love, I do love getting out. So I love to go play tennis and golf and just enjoy and laugh with friends. Mm-hmm. It's just been a little harder now, but still we get to get out. Yes. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, for everyone who wants to get your book, buy your book, read your book, where can they find and follow you and all the things so that they can support you?
0: Oh, right now it's on amazon.com, Life life in the Chastity Zone, Holly Brandon, and it's on Barnes & Noble and soon with Tetra House, which I'll then put on my link, on my Instagram, on my website, all that information. But it's Instagram is at at author Holly Brandon, and then my website's Holly Brandon or author Holly Brandon.
1: Perfect. So for everyone who's listening who, you know, there's so many great parts of your story that I think are are exactly what someone needed to hear right now, whether it's, you know, choosing love for the right reasons, whether it's making a huge career pivot from engineering to becoming an author, whether it's, you know, using what you've gone through to tell a story and and share that with somebody else, you know, where, where do you want to leave everyone who's listening and going through
0: what you've gone through on your own journey. That if you, you know, if I hate to use the word, but if shit hits the fan and you think your life is your dab in the dumps and nothing good will come, that is not true. You dig yourself up and good will happen. Like no guy can define you. Nobody can define you. Nobody can tell you what to do. And the bad happens and the good will happen. If you choose it, so you choose your journey. Today is a new day. Write your own story. Like forget about it Yesterday know, yesterday's history, just take out a piece of paper, write your own story, say what you want to do because nothing's stopping you. Do it. Who's stopping you? No one can stop you from doing it, but yourself and just little by little taking steps and chipping away. It's like peeling the orange back. There's so many layers or onion back. That's mm-hmm. better. There's so many layers to an onion. Just keep peeling it back, whittle away and eventually mm-hmm. you'll get there. And I hope I make everybody laugh. Like, that's my goal. When I write, it's to relieve the stress. Like, so when people read my books, I hope they laugh and think, wow, she really went through hell, but this is really funny. And it gave me a good laugh because that's, that's what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm trying to make people laugh and see, you know, hell, it's not really hell. You can, people go through worse than you do and they still come out okay. And smiling. Oh, I love to smile. I'm very happy, but there are days when I'm not. So yes, that's yeah. key. I really want to make people smile.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, in our community of powerful ladies around the world, it's very powerful. And so I always want to ask people as well, is there something that you need or that you're looking for that maybe this community might have?
0: Oh, that's a good one. Just to tell your friends about the book, tell, you know, that's the thing, spreading the word. I haven't learned, I'm not a marketer. I did hire a wonderful PR girl, Natasha. I just don't know how to spread the word. So if you could spread the word, it would help me tremendously. Yeah. Well, uh,
1: I love that. Um, Your story is incredible. The, um, how you've, you know, triumphed over what's happened to you in your life and continue to smile and go forward and live the life you want is so inspiring. And so thank you for being a yes. Thank you for sharing your story.
0: And I can't wait to see what happens for you next. Thank you, Kara. Thank you for having me on. This has been so much
1: fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode. All the links to connect with Holly are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com forward slash podcast. There you can also leave comments and ask questions about this episode. Want more Powerful Ladies? Come join us on Instagram at PowerfulLadies, where you can also find some free downloads to start being powerful today. Subscribe to this podcast and help us connect with more listeners like you by leaving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking to connect directly with me, visit CaraDuffy.com or join me on Instagram at Cara underscore Duffy. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. Without her, this wouldn't be possible. You can follow her on Instagram at Jordan K. Duffy. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.